0: Our passage today comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. If you will join me in your Bibles, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, picking up where we left off uh, last week. With God's help, if you would turn your heart and give your attention to the reading of His Word. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you Be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is God's Word. Now, would you bow your heart with me as we ask His help? Heavenly Father, we pray as we begin to open your word this day, that you would come and show us Christ in the study of your word. We pray that you would give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the spirit of all that is holy, that we might know the hope to which we have been called. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from your law, Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, you would reveal yourself to us, for we can only know you if you give yourself to be known. So come and help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, we have before us what is admittedly a somewhat obscure and puzzling text today, and the reasons for that are several. First, it is not immediately clear uh, how this section relates to its surrounding context. Uh, We might wonder as we read it whether it is its own separate thought or does it connect in some way to what has come before, and we'll take that into consideration here in just a moment. More than that, though, is the way that Jesus uses these ideas of light and a lamp. There are at least a couple different senses in which he uses those words in those passages in this passage, just in these four verses, and that may not be immediately evident just on a first reading and then we Come to the one injunction in the text. It's the only command in the whole passage in verse 35. And we wonder to ourselves, how can light be darkness? So there's actually quite a lot to consider here together just in these several verses. The first thing to know is that there actually are two lamps present here in our text. Christ speaks of light in the passage in essentially two different ways. The first has to do with the ministry of Christ in verse 33. He says there, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. And if you're of a certain age, you may have Sunday school songs that begin to race into your mind here at this point. But they're not actually taken from this particular passage. And that's part of the the point of confusion. Jesus is fond of this particular illustration using the idea of light, But just take the illustration at face value. He says, if you're going to go through all of the trouble of filling up your, your oil and trimming your wick and lighting your lamp, the last thing you're going to do is go and bury it in the ground. That doesn't make any sense. No one does that. Jesus says at the beginning here. The whole purpose of a lamp is to shine forth. It is to, to give light. It is to illuminate your surroundings. It's to help you find your way, to offer guidance, to keep you from stumbling, and so on. In this context, Jesus is using the image there of light as something actually that points to himself. He is the light come into the world. He is the image of the invisible God, God, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says, who no one has ever seen or can see, and yet Christ came into the world to make him known. In him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. John said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light was evident in his glory, in his grace, in his teaching, in his spotless righteousness, in his full attendance to uh, the perfect will of God, to the law of God, to his, in his miraculous deeds, in his power over the realms of darkness. So there was light in Christ incarnation. But remember what John also said in the first chapter of his gospel. He said the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see the same thing here. Remember who Jesus is talking to in this text. If you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus is speaking to those who did not receive Him, those who uh, refused to believe on Him in spite of all the self revelation that they uh, witnessed, in spite of all the light that they uh, witnessed. If you look back at verse 14, uh, you see there how Jesus cast out that demon from a man-made mute, and the people marveled, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, uh, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So they scrutinized him, they criticized him. Some of them may have marveled, at him, but they didn't receive him, they didn't believe on him. Some of them kept saying, Give us a sign from heaven. Another way we could put that would be to say, Give us more light, we want more light. Well, the self revelation of God had already been given for those that had eyes to, to see, and Jesus is saying here that God the Father didn't send a God, the Son, the eternal Word, uh, the Word made flesh, that he might be hidden from mankind, but that we might see him, that we might see his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ came into the world that we might behold him, not with our natural eyes, but with the eyes of faith that we might see and perceive him. The light has not been hidden from us. We have the light before us. It hasn't been tucked away under a basket. It hasn't been stuffed down in the basement. God has not covered up the one thing that humanity most needs to know. He's displayed openly the glory of the light of Christ that we might come to know him and know him savingly. So what accounts, church, for man's failure to embrace the light given in the Lord Jesus Christ? John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. The light exposes what's in the dark. The light has come into the world, John says. There's no uh, disputing that. That is not up for question. The problem here is not that we don't have the light. That's what Jesus is saying here. When he says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. This is, a, this is intended as a rebuke to, to what he describes earlier as a perverse and wicked generation. They were a people who had the light, but they didn't do anything with it. They didn't do anything with it, or they, they laid the, the, the blame at the feet of Christ, and they, they said, what we really need here is more light. We just need more miracles. We need a greater demonstration of your power. And you remember what Jesus said elsewhere. Even if a man were to rise from the dead, they still would not believe the priority here is on responding to the light that has been given in the self-revelation of Jesus Christ. When a lamp is lit, it's there to be used. It's there to be used. Now that's that's kind of lost on us in our generation. When we need light, we just go to the wall and we flick the switch and the, the room floods. With light, but, but think to a time maybe when you weathered a, p- a power outage, or you, you went through a, a hurricane and you didn't have light at your disposal. Maybe, maybe you had candles, or you, you had a flashlight with just a few batteries. Those things, whatever you had on hand, those were things to be cherished. They were things to to hold on to and to use for all that they were worth when they were lit. You didn't light them and then go to a different room. No, if the lamp was lit, it was because you were going to live in its light. You're going to use the light that was there. Well, in the incarnation, in a manner of speaking, God lit the brightest, most magnificent, glorious, penetrating, illuminating kind of light the world has ever known. And he did it for mankind. He did it for us. He gave Jesus the light of the world in order that we might see. We open his word it tells us of his glory. It tells of Christ's person and work. What do we discover there? Psalm 119 and in verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. Understanding of what? Understanding of God, understanding of his greatness, his splendor, his beauty understanding of man, our depravity, our need, our position relative to his spotless glory, his holiness, understanding when it comes to the plight of our souls before this holy God, understanding of the remedy given for our sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. Last week, we We looked at how Christ went back to Jonah and then to to Solomon's day and he showed us how those generations responded to the light that they had been given. Jonah went and he preached repentance and salvation to the people of Nineveh and they responded. The queen of Sheba, she came and she visited Solomon and she acknowledged that he was there by divine right by divine decree that he was established by the Lord's word and was there to execute justice and righteousness on behalf of the people. She blessed him. Jesus said something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah Is here, and there's a connection here in our text today with that statement that something greater than Solomon and Jonah is here. Christ is that greater light, He is that something greater. The word something there in the original um, isn't masculine. It's actually neuter. It it doesn't say, there's a reason the text doesn't say someone greater, although it certainly includes that. It's pointing to uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also talking about more than that. It's talking about the glory and salvation and liberty and light and the hope of redemption and all that's bound up in the kingdom of God. That's why it says something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And that still rings true for us, beloved. Still rings true for souls today. Peter says this, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The light has come. The question at hand is, can you see it? Do you perceive what God in Christ has done, his self-revelation? If you can't, if you can't see the way forward, if you don't see Christ for who the scriptures testify him to be, it is not because there isn't light there. Something else is at play. And this is where verse 34 uh, comes in. We come to those who have or haven't received the light. Now, church, here the metaphor stays the same. Jesus uses the same metaphor, but the thing signified by the lamp changes. So stay with me here. Now, instead of Christ being represented by the lamp, it's man's eye. It's man's eye. That's the second lamp. Jesus now says, your eye is the lamp of your body. And just speaking in natural, uh, physiological terms, the eye is the organ that lets light in. It's what controls your perception. Of things, so taking up the same image as we saw in verse thirty three Jesus says, in the same way that a lamp set on a stand uh, shines its beams out into a room, so does the eye let light into the body. Young people, are you with me here? Are you following along? Remember as we 're looking at this. We're talking about spiritual realities. Jesus isn't giving us an anatomy lesson here when he talks about the eye and the the body. He is drawing a connection between spiritual perception and the body, which in this case refers to the inner man, the inner man, the heart, the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, the conscience. The eye, the spiritual eyes, is that faculty of perception and understanding and awareness that sheds light on the inner man. Now, with that idea in view, he draws a great contrast. In verse 34, look there with me. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy. Is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Church, the thing that I want you to see here is that everything hangs on the health of the eye. Just hold that idea in your mind as we walk through the passage. Everything hangs on the health of the eye. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. What does it mean to have a healthy eye? In the kind of terms that Jesus is talking about here. First, notice the connection to the previous verse. He said, The revelation of Jesus Christ has been given. Why? So that those who enter may see the light. So the first implication that we can draw here is that having a healthy eye means that you are able to perceive the things God has done and is doing in the person and work of Jesus. You can perceive spiritually what God has done and is doing in the person and work of Jesus Christ accurately, truly, as they really are, in a way that is in accord With God's own word. It is to have the eyes of the heart enlightened so that you take in spiritual truth, spiritual light. Your eyes are not shut when it comes to the things of God, they are open, they're clear, you can see. You perceive. The King James is very helpful here in its translation. It says, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. Single here carries the idea that uh, the eye is sound. It's simple. It is undivided. Now, you think about that in terms of, of the eye, the, the vision. The idea is that your vision's clear. You can see. It's not cloudy, it, it, it isn't dim. Your, your spiritual vision, if you will, isn't filled with cataracts and glaucoma and all of the rest. Your eye is healthy, it's clear. When you think about God's dealings in the world, When you think about his his redemptive purposes with mankind, your perception of them, and not only your perception of them, but your delight in them is total, it's full, it's clear. You see what God has done. You take it in. And you, you see what that gives way to here. When that is true, when that's the case, your whole body is full of light. So again, church, not only do you see the glory and the beauty and the preciousness of Christ, but you welcome him in, which means his goodness and glory pervades your whole being. What does that mean? What does it mean to have your whole body full of light? Well, it means that your 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 conduct, a man's conversation, a man's a Decision-making, his choices, his ambitions, his thoughts, his loves. All of those things evidence the light of Jesus Christ filling the inner man. It means that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit becomes increasingly evident in your life. You are not of the night or of the darkness in your manner of life. You walk in the light as he is in the light. You are a child of the day, children of the day. J.C. Ryle says this so well. He says, the single heart is a heart which is not only changed, converted, and renewed, but thoroughly, powerfully, and habitually Under the influence of the Holy Ghost. It is a heart which abhors all compromises, all lukewarmness, all halting between two opinions of religion. It sees one mighty object the love of Christ dying for sinners. It has one mighty aim to glorify God and to do His will. Oh, that God would give us this kind of single eye, this kind of vision. For Christ. When your eye is healthy, it becomes clear in all that you do, in all that you are. It becomes clear not only to you, but to others, to those who live with you, who live around you, who witness your life. It's obvious your steps are ordered of the Lord. The course of your life is forever changed. You're not who you used to be when you sat in darkness. You're not on your own course. You're not fumbling around in the darkness. David says in Psalm 18 and verse 28, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Now you're walking in the light. But then, friends, there's also the contrast here. And I want to encourage you as we hold these up side by side I want to encourage you to use the two of them to consider where you stand. The reverse is also true. But when it is bad, when your eye is bad or evil, some translations say, your body is full of darkness. Consider this. Why couldn't these men who sought a sign from from Jesus see who he was? In spite of all that he had accomplished, in spite of all his teaching, in spite of all his miraculous deeds, why couldn't they see? It was because their eye was bad. They were in a state of spiritual blindness. They loved the darkness more than they did the light. Well, you see what happens also when your your eye is bad, it also in in turn has a corrupting effect on your whole body. Your body is full of darkness. And friends, this is the condition we all find ourselves in, just as natural men, uh, born apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who comes to sanctify us. Zechariah said that Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Friends, that's you and me. That's all of us. In our natural estate, we belong to what the Bible describes as the domain of darkness. That's our home. That's what we know. That's what we love. You see how this brings into focus, once again, the need to respond to the light that has been given, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as he has been shown forth to the world. The problem this man is facing, whose eye is bad, and therefore his whole body is full of darkness, isn't that there isn't any light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shown. The problem here is not a lack of light, but of sight. It's of sight. And the people of Nineveh, Make that abundantly clear for us. They repented with far, far less light than we have today. The issue before us is the health of the eye. Everything hangs on that. Now, we come to the application, looking at verse 35. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. This is the lesson applied. Christ has laid out the principles. Now we come to this one exhortation in the passage, be careful. Of what are we to be careful? Jesus exhorts us to give attention to what we take to be light within our inner man. And this is, this is very illuminating, no, no pun intended. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Do you you see what he is saying there? There is a way of thinking. There is a way of understanding the world. There is a way of doing self-assessment. There's a way of interpreting the truths about God and man and eternity that is regarded to be light, but is in fact darkness. There are perspectives and ideologies and viewpoints men hold that they consider to be enlightened ways of looking at the world They hold them to be light, but they are nothing but darkness. They are lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. That's what Christ is getting at here. That's why he says, therefore, be careful, lest the, quote, light in you be darkness. Think about what the world says about the so-called progress Of mankind, some of the ideals that came out of the the period of the Enlightenment, uh, rationalism, humanism, the denigration of theology as the queen of sciences, that which at one point in the history of man was what all other uh, sciences and purported claims of truth were considered to be subject to. There was a time when uh, theology. Uh, the understanding of who God is was understood to be the queen of sciences. Every age has its light. Every age has its ideas that are expressed in ways that feel bright and fresh and new, but they're dark, they're darkness. They come from the same pride and hubris that uh, the men living in the first century, who demanded more light from Christ, um, uh, were contending with and that we are contending with in our own hearts. I want to read what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 and verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is revealed it from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul's describing here the light that can be seen in God's general revelation to mankind He goes on, so they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were, what, darkened. Now listen to this, with darkened hearts, claiming to be wise, they became fools, And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Claiming to be wise. That's just another way of saying enlightened. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. There is plenty in this world, young people, that the world accounts as light. The world is going to tell you this is light. Take this in, soak it in. This is full of light. That should not be a surprise to us as followers of Christ. What does the Bible tell us about um, the evil one's methodology? He masquerades as an angel of light. Light. This is all just a pretense. Pretense. If it is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ you regard to be light, you've been duped. The light in you is darkness. And the danger of it all is the presumption that comes with it that we possess some kind of light that leads to false assurance before the face of the living God. We convince ourselves that we're right with God when we're not, that the blessings of eternal life are ours when they're not, We deceive ourselves and we think we can gain our own standing with God through our own wisdom, by our own means, instead of repentance of sins and faith in the name of his Son. Now let me ask you this, how do you be careful, lest the light in you be darkness? Well first I want you to just recognize that this is a call for self-examination. How would this text bid us to examine ourselves? Look at your body. That's the key. If a healthy eye leads to a body that is full of light, and a bad or an evil eye means a body full of darkness, a correct diagnosis of where we stand is going to be determined not by looking at the eye itself, but your response to the person and work of what Christ has wrought in the world. In other words, what is your manner of life characterized by? Do you live in the darkness, or have the eyes of your heart been enlightened so that you walk in the light has your whole body benefited from the light does the inner man demonstrate the light of Christ do you love the body of Christ as an example 1 John chapter 2 says whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling you see the spirit at work in your heart purging you, a sin, sanctifying you, making you more and more uh, like Jesus Christ? Do you see Christ going to work uh, in your heart uh, through those dusty corners, emptying out those filthy closets, if you will, inside the inner man, Purging out all of that sin, that's where a proper assessment begins. Ponder the path of your feet. Do you walk in the light as he is in the light? Enter into a, a time of introspection and reflection. And then we are careful lest the light in us be darkness by just simply establishing in our hearts and minds that the word of God is the only safe, trustworthy True source of light. That means on the one hand that we reject all those false sources of light. You refuse to be led by your own sense of worldly wisdom. You abandon all the so-called inner light that the world offers to you. All of the things that you're tempted to trust in. Turn away from those philosophies Uh, of this age, things that lead you astray, go back to the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Walk in it. Embrace the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How do you do that? Uh, Church, you respond in faith and repentance. You turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's how Paul described his whole ministry. Church, the Christian faith is not one where we are climbing up this mountain of enlightenment. It is one where we humble ourselves before Almighty God. We say, I was born in darkness and sin. Only you can come and rescue me. Only you have the power to deliver me. And he can and he will. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, we end on a positive note here. We, we've had a warning. There's been an exhortation And now some encouragement. He says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. If your eye is good, so that you perceive Christ and his saving power, he will come, he will dwell in you by faith, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, it will affect all. All that you are, and there 's nothing that you can do to prevent that reality. Christ will have his way in you. It will be the case. First John chapter one and verse five. This is the message we have heard from him, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So you you cannot enter into the new birth and remain unchanged. You're going to be transformed. His glorious presence will penetrate your life. The Spirit of God will transform your heart, your mind, your will, your affections. Jesus promised it. He said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your Son, the light of the world. Thank you for Jesus God, we bless you today for your tender mercies toward us. Lord, thank you that the sunrise has visited us from on high and that Christ has been revealed. Lord, that we no longer walk in darkness but have the light of life. God, we pray today for those who sit in darkness. Lord, for those who are in the shadow of death, maybe there are some here even today who are perhaps deceived in some way, and they have thought themselves to possess the light. Lord, I pray that you would give them eyes to see. I pray that you'd open up the eyes of their heart, Lord, that they might come to see your immeasurable greatness, the glory and splendor of your Son, the joy of knowing him and walking with him. Lord, I pray also for our witness as a church. Lord, I ask that we would indeed be full of light, having no part dark, that together we would faithfully proclaim the excellencies of you, the one who's called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, may your name be honored greatly among us. In Jesus' name. Amen.